This is the LarryandFishers.com podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm honored to have two wonderful guests today. I have John Cinnamon and Ann Craig Cinnamon, world travelers and people who do travel for a living, writing, video, you name it. And Ann, we got to know each other when you were editor of Current and Fishers. I did a little writing there. You're one of the finest editors I ever had to deal with. You, oh, well, great. you changed very, very, very little of what I wrote, so I always liked that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's usually what makes someone popular. And John, it's great to see you again. I haven't seen you for for a very long time, but uh, glad to, to, to be be together with you. Uh, first of all, I, this is my first chance I've had to do this publicly. Let me congratulate Ann on being inducted in the Indiana Broadcasters Hall of Fame. I know it happened a while ago, over a year ago, I think. But Ann, it was a, a, a trem- ago, yeah. it was a tremendous honor, and I'm so so happy for you. Thank you. It was um, a great honor, and that particular day was probably one of the best days of my life. It was just a really great day, and um, yeah, it's a it's a great honor. Well-deserved and long overdue. You know, John, I'm dating myself here. I started in radio commercial broadcasting in 1969, and the idea of a female doing news on radio was unheard of. Nobody thought yeah, that... there wasn't a lot of that. Oh, and, yeah. And people thought there was no... And so groundbreaking uh, at the time. Well, and, and, and actually, I, I got, even though I did news, I got away from the serious news when I did morning shows and radio. It was not quite the hard news that you know i initially was uh, had it intended to do i suppose but you know i became part of a morning show at wife and then moved to nap uh replacing tom cochran and that was more of a um you know and more of a lifestyle kind of of news and being part of a morning show and i think um later i went back into news with tv and network indiana and and that kind of thing it's a little more hardcore but um i i I think that probably doing a morning show is what I think left uh, any impact that I might have had. And John knows this. When you're the news reporter on a morning show, you're part of the act. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That, uh, and that's certainly uh, the, uh, what how Anne made her mark is you know, not just being a news reader or the, the giggly girl – she was actually a part of it, had the, the input. And, and that's, uh, you know, frankly, for, you know, I guess nowadays, uh, uh, doing the news is more than just reading the news. You're coming in once an hour or twice an hour. You're a part of the show the whole time. And there's not a lot of women doing that even now. That's true. That's yeah, and it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. gone backwards instead of forwards. Well, cycles hopefully will come back around. But let's, yeah. let's, let's talk about travel. You two went on the Trans-Siberian Railway. You did an entire half-hour video that has recently uh, premiered on Channel 20. Uh, all the way from Moscow to Beijing, it's labeled as the longest train ride in the world. So, John, did it feel like that when you were done? Uh, at least the first four days on the train with no... Uh no uh, bathing and uh, that sort of thing. We spent four days in a row uh, in this uh, tiny little cabin. But by other the, people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but by the end of the trip, uh, it was tremendously rewarding and seeing so many different people and so many different cultures and yet finding out how similar we are with people in Russia, Mongolia, 
China, and that was really the message of, of the piece. Right, and there, there are three distinct cultures. I mean, you got Russia, you got Mongolia, and you got China. They're all very unique, distinct cultures, and um, so it was interesting to do them all in one trip and experience that. And so they're they're different, and yet people are people. And I think that has been the message that we try to get across in our in our travels. And and uh, we've been to. I've been to 112 countries, and John not far behind. Um, all seven, all seven continents, all 50 states. And I think the thing that I've always found, and I've traveled my whole life, is that no matter where you go, people are people are people, and we all have a lot of similarities. We're more alike than we are dissimilar in many ways. And one of the biggest dramas you had was early on you en- just entering Moscow. John, uh, you did not get into <laughs> Moscow easily, did you? <laughs> no, surprisingly, and for no apparent reason mm. other than being an American flying in from Uzbekistan, which probably seems odd in Moscow, uh, they pulled me aside for a little extra screening, which took about... Uh, they were gentle, ex- though. Yes, they were quite <laughs> gentle. Uh, but it was. Uh, they took me downstairs to a lower level at the airport, and uh, I don't want to call it an interrogation, it was. but it was. I was alone in a room with three other Russians, and they asked me questions. So, you know. And asking things like, you know, you're meeting with politicians. Yeah. And and that kind of thing. And then, you know, putting, uh, getting the code on his phone. So why would you do that? You do that because you're going to track him. I mean, there's no question in our minds that he got tracked, you know. And the question is, are you still being, the question is, are you still being tracked, John? Yeah. No, I got rid of that phone. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say I blame you for that. We were in uh, Cuba a few years ago. We had, um, sort of a weird thing happened in that our guide who, well, it was our, I think it was our driver, and he had been in the KGB. He had been trained yeah. by the KGB. And he came in. We were having dinner. There's just a, another couple on this particular tour with us. We're all sitting there having dinner, talking and whatever. He comes in, and he puts his phone down right in between us. And we all kind of went, what's that? And then he comes back a little later, and he repositions it. I think he was closer <laughs> to us. So it was like we knew what he was doing. He was he was monitoring our conversations or something. And he didn't seem to care that you knew. Um, no, he wasn't real. Uh, he, he <laughs> wasn't real subtle. No, he wasn't subtle. Oh my gosh! Uh, one, he didn't teach him well enough. Let me ask about this. Uh, you've both been to Moscow before. How has it changed over the years? Um, I went back in 1974. Was my first trip, and then John and I have now been twice. And I would say in 74, again, um, that was Soviet Union. And we had a, I remember it was a young tour guide. She was probably older than me at the time, but very young. I was very young. And um, we had a guy sit in the back of the bus the entire time, obviously watching, monitoring, and, and whatever. And it was kind of rare to have a lot of American citizens visiting there. So now you do see more Americans, mm-hmm. and I think it's a looser feel. You come and go as you please. I I have not. This this time was probably the the most free we've ever been. Just spending yeah. a couple of days in Moscow. We I, we I, literally were walking around on our own around Red Square, and we walked down the street and took the subway on our own. So there were no minders with us. So that yeah. that's one thing. I think one of the uh, big differences, probably, which we pointed out in our documentary is uh, the gum department store, which is on one side of Red Square. Now, you go in there, 
and its stores like Prada and Tiffany and Cartier and Manolo Blahnik, all these real high-end stores, which I'm sure back in the mid-70s when Anne was there the first time, no way. that was unheard yeah. of under, under oh, yeah. Soviet rule. Well, mm -hmm. and, they, and they're not obviously Soviet companies in any way, and, mm -hmm. or Russian. And back then, it was all Soviet, everything. There was very little uh, outside influence um, at that time. So, yeah, it, it is remarkably different. And at the time, I remember they, they promoted it as the largest department store in the world. And I think it probably was, just size-wise, but it was a store in itself. Now it's all these shops within, and most of them luxury. And uh, before you boarded the train, you were uh, advised by uh, your guide to buy some food before you got on the train. Talk about your experience at the grocery store, Ann. Uh, typical grocery store. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've literally been in grocery stores all over the world. I mean, really, because we'll stop and buy something wherever. And, and I lived in Iran, you know, for a year and a half. And so um, it was a very typical grocery store with... Uh, uh, food, obviously a lot of Russian products and that kind of thing, and fresh produce and whatever. But a lot of things that they brought in from other parts of the world, I mean, they do import a lot of stuff now, which at one time they would not have. And so uh, I would say it was very typical to um, a store anywhere else in the world. If you had plunked us down in the middle of that store, the only way you could tell it was uh, Russia was, you know, from the... Um, the Cyrillic uh, mm -hmm. letters, you know. <laughs> yeah, the Cyrillic alphabet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, it yeah, it it's not. I would not call it a unique experience to go through a Russian grocery store anymore. At one time, it would have been. I think it's it's very much like anywhere else. Now, John, you were second-class travelers on that train. I thought that was tough until you showed a picture of the third-class travelers. <laughs> talk yeah, talk about your accommodations. Our accommodations, uh, we had a room, very small. It was about six feet by six feet, four bunks, two lower, two upper, and four pe it accommodated four people. I wouldn't say comfortably, but <laughs> it accommodated four people, and it had a door. Uh, that was second class. We did take a walk through the third class car, which was basically just completely open. There were, there were bunks, beds, whatever, but no doors. They were just all open but uh our car uh our particular second class car did have uh a bathroom a small bathroom at each end of the car and there was a uh something at the, in the car that where you could get hot water that you would use for making instant instant food and boiling or noodles coffee like, or tea coffee or something like that, like that. yeah now, um and, and we did yeah. get we had a table too in our in mm -hmm. our cabin so they would come and, and give us things so we could eat on it or whatever, whereas third class, I don't think they had anything. Did you communicate with the people in the cabin with you? Uh, was there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, some of them were in the same group that we were in. We actually took a tour through a company called G-Adventures, and so some of them were part of that. Some were not. Um, so we had the, three, the two of us and then a third that, in most cases, was a part of that tour, and then we'd have the fourth person would be like Russian or whatever. And the first guy we had, he was a student. And he went to school in Moscow and he was going home to um, a town in Siberia where his family was. He was going home to visit. And he did not, he spoke enough English that we could at least get a message across or whatever. 
and he tried to tried to talk to us. Uh, most people do. People are usually very friendly, especially if they figure that you can figure out that you're American and you speak English or whatever. They're very interested in. And um, so he was friendly enough, and mm -hmm. I mean enough that we know that he was a student and he lived in Siberia and he was going home. So uh, his English is a lot better than our Russian. Let's put it that. Well, yeah, I can't can't imagine trying to learn Russian. Uh, oh. You know, John, you you and Ann interviewed your train car attendant. Her name was Jonah. Did I get that? Jonah. Jonah. I'm sorry. And you interviewed her through an interpreter, and it was a good conversation. But I was fascinated by the last thing you mentioned about your conversation. You asked her, "What would you ask an American?" And her answer was, "Well, tell me what. Just tell me what her answer was when you asked her what. What would you ask an American now that you have two in front of you with the chance to ask she that?" She wanted to know. She wanted to know what Americans, average Americans, and she saw us as average Americans, thought of the average Russian. She didn't want to know about the political beliefs or anything like that. Just, just a real basic, what do your people think of our people? And it was, it was fascinating to, to have that insight from her. She just wants to know what other regular people are like. Obviously, everybody over here, everybody over there gets the news. They get their news filtered through, you yeah, know, through Moscow. Than we do. But she wanted to know what, what the people are like and what the people thought oh, of okay. their people. Kind of a profound answer to the, to the you know, question or whatever. And part of our point that people want to know what other people think of them. And, and, you know, and another comment she made was, about people who might not be happy. And her comment was, you know, as the customer is always right. Well, you know, that's something we grow up with, you know, in America, the customer is always right. Well, apparently that's Russian too, you know, customer is always right. I've only had limited opportunities to meet Russians. I've had a few occasions who are visiting in America, but you two have had a lot of experience, not just with the Russians, but other let's stick with Russia at the moment because of that question that uh, the lady Jonah asked you. Uh, based on your experience, John, you start. Uh, what was your impression of the Russian people? We obviously have all kinds of cultural and other differences, but people to people, what was your impression? They're essentially the same as us. They go about their day-to-day -day business. We saw Russian people in, in Red Square taking selfies, and they're pushing baby carts along, and they're shopping in the gum department store, and they, they're shopping in the grocery store. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the other interviews we had was with our, with the, uh, restaurant manager on the train. And we asked him what he liked and what he didn't like. What he didn't like was drunk Russian men. Well, <laughs> nobody likes drunk Russian men. Well, you did drunk, even regular <laughs> Russian, Russian men. don't like the drunk ones. Well, yeah, you did, you, you talked about the detention car on the train, by the way. One of your yeah. people you interviewed ended up in that car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, he, this guy started getting he was drunk clearly had way too too much and he was um getting in the face of one of our fellow uh travelers who was on our, our group a british guy who um we're still facebook friends with and communicate with quite a bit he's he's really a fun guy and uh he was taking it really kind of lightly it's kind of like oh okay yeah thank you you know whatever and this guy was getting worse and worse and worse until finally they called the uh, security Security came and, and was trying to calm me down, couldn't. And so, um, and I'm shooting it. I've got my phone up so I can shoot it. And the uh, the security guy sees me and goes like this. Oh, no. And so I stopped at that point. Oh. 
But then apparently they they took him out, and we could hear a commotion in the hall. And they must they had to put him in handcuffs and haul him <laughs> off to detention. So I guess he sobered up there. I did notice one thing during the video production that that was on Channel Twenty that even though things have changed a lot since the Soviet era, because Anne, you were there then and you see what it's like now. But yet you made one stop along the train ride where there is a huge painting memorializing the downing of the uh, American spy plane piloted by the late Gary Powers. Did that surprise you, or is it kind of something you expect to see here and there? Um, I think, I don't think it really surprised us. It's just that it was a, a small town. It's not a, not a big town. It was the um, Catherine uh, yeah, the Great. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Ekaterinaburg, named yeah. for Catherine the Great. And um, that's, yeah, that's how it got its name. And the, their train station was kind of uh, paid uh, homage to things that, ha- that were famous that happened in the area. And one of those things was, who knew, Gary Powers apparently was shot down, or crashed, whatever, in that area. And so, yeah, they put it up on the ceiling in mosaic. <laughs> it's, it's, was still, a big deal. <laughs> it's still essentially a, you know, a, a good uh, propaganda piece oh, of course. for them. Yeah. Because everybody has their claim. Everybody has their claim to fame, and that's that small town's claim to fame in history. I yeah. guess exactly. Uh, your time right. in Siberia, I found quite because you know I think any American's uh, visualization of Siberia is the gulag, but Siberia is a very rich and interesting place. Uh, your thoughts and memories of Siberia, John? You want to start? Uh, I thought it was interesting that we spent most of our time there at uh, Lake Baikal, which is the largest freshwater lake in the world by volume. And uh, it was frozen over at the time, and so they were, they were doing a lot of uh, hovercraft tours on the ice. But the, what you would call the beach, uh, it's very rocky there. There were still a lot of people there on the beach, uh, you know, with their pets and playing games and things like that. So, again, people are people, and even in Siberia. And it was uh, not a bad little town at all. It was a nice little uh, seaside kind of thing. Um, and... Um, I, I think, um, and when everybody thinks of Siberia, they think, okay, these were people that got exiled there back in revolutionary days or whatever. And the thing I didn't realize was most of them were the more highly educated. They were the, you know, the higher class, as it were, in the day. And so what they did was they took Siberia, the town they, that they wound up in, and they turned it into what they call the Paris of the... Um, of the East or, you know, whatever in Siberia with uh, all kinds of universities and museums and that kind of thing. So they made the most of their time there and left a mark in Siberia, whereas right now, you know, it might not be anything, but it actually is rather an interesting place to visit. I've always kind of wanted to go because I I thought it's going to be some desolate, dark, you know, whatever. It's not. People live there. And then you moved on to Mongolia, which again has this we have this vision of Mongolia, and uh, whoever wants to chime in, do so, because you showed a modern city, and you showed the nomadic tribes, the, of which are still 800,000 nomads. So talk about that. Yeah, I think the, the probably the most fascinating thing that we learned was that half, uh, probably half to a th- uh, at least a third of their population are still nomads. Mm. Who would think that? And you see their capital city, Ulaanbaatar. And it's big, huge. If you got plunked down the middle of that, other than a few yurts here and there, gurs here and there, um, you wouldn't know where you were. 
it, you know, they've got a bunch of um, statues to like Marco Polo and, you know, that kind of thing. But big wide boulevards, you wouldn't know. But a good third of their population, because it's not a not a big populous country, is still nomad. They're still nomadic. They still pick up and move according to, to the weather. And that I found fascinating in the world we live in. And I think the most interesting, one of the most interesting people we met in the whole trip was our tour guide there. His name is Nemo, which is short for an unpronounceable name. But uh, his backstory was that he was a doctor. He was an actual medical doctor in, Mon in Mongolia. But he couldn't make enough as a doctor uh, in Mongolia, so he became a tour guide. I think that was it was ultimately the family business yeah. that he got into. Right. And so he's now a tour guide, and he was our tour guide. And he was he was born in a in a gur, and he grew up in a gur. And I loved his response when you know we asked him, "Was your childhood hard?" No, no, just you know, cold in the winter, and we have to go get firewood and whatever. But I think people, uh, children that grew up in in uh, gurs are stronger. Yeah, he said and, growing up uh, in an apartment is not nearly as, uh, you don't learn as much in an apartment as you do living that right. nomadic life. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Life, sk life skills for sure. And the other really fascinating thing, uh, and again, going back to people are people, uh, that we learned from him, uh, uh, in general, Mongolian people are have a very big interest in American professional basketball, the NBA. When he asked us where we were from, we told him Indiana, uh, he said, what are your sports teams? And when we mentioned um, the Pacers, he said, oh, Reggie Miller. <laughs> he just, just like that. He, and then as we talked to him later, he was rattling off Reggie Miller, Kevin Garnett. Uh, and, you know, he knew all yeah. about the NBA. And yeah, what he, he said was he likes the dudes that are, are three-point <laughs> I love that interview with him. The three-point shooter line was great. The whole thing was wonderful. That uh, He was one of the most fascinating characters I loved in, in the yeah, in that whole great. program. Yeah, I just really liked him. And he, he left um, with his mother, apparently, to go to the big city. And he, at about the age of nine, I think it was, and he hadn't seen his father um until recently he had not seen his father through the, all of his childhood into adulthood and he told the story of going to find his father and he's already an adult he's got his own children and all of that and decides to go find his father and he went to a, a you know Gur community and looking for him and they said oh yeah he was here a few days ago you need to go over to this other uh, yeah. place three, and they called three ahead gers, three gurs down <laughs> yeah. take a left and so they call ahead and then he would go there and they'd say, oh, you just missed him. He was, you know, whatever. And so, he, and, and it's kind of a poignant um, story because he talked about, obviously he didn't know his father at all, but he said he finally um, went to several town or community, GER community, whatever, from place to place to place, and finally saw this person walking towards him, even though he hadn't seen his father in so many years, he knew it was his father. Oh, wow. And, yeah. and so... Then they, they, you know, had a nice long talk, visited, and I think he's seen him one more time since then. But it's not like he's, you know, um, buddied up with him or anything, but he felt the need. Mm -hmm. he, I think he was the youngest and, and of many children and um, left at a young age and just, you know, his father was a nomad and his mother didn't want to be a nomad anymore. You did talk about entering China. That was a five-hour ordeal. It wasn't just customs. It was You had to change the wheels on the train because the tracks are of a different specification yeah. in China. No, no, no. It was, 
it was really a yeah. <laughs> so you you were there for a while, but uh, you seem really both of you seem fascinated by the growth and the commercialization that's happened in Beijing. Uh, uh, John, tell me what impressed you as you looked around China and Beijing particularly. Again, it's it seems very westernized. Large hotels, large shopping malls on the streets, uh, things like that. But uh, uh, and and the, the streets are just teeming with traffic: cars, bicycles, motorcycles, things like that. Uh, but they may be communists, but there there is a lot of capitalism going on. <laughs> yeah, but it still it still does maintain that uh, that uh, almost ancient. There are certainly parts of the city uh, within the Forbidden City, things like that, that still maintain that that ancient China feel. I like I do like China. I don't like the government, but I do like China. And the thing that struck me this time. Um, this was our second visit, but it was like 16 years between. People were so friendly, unbelievably friendly. In Tiananmen Square, they obviously John six three, so he stands out. Yeah. And um, and you know my hair is a different color than theirs, so mm-hmm. we stand out. You know, as as um, certainly Western. And they would come over and want to get their picture taken with uh, us. Whole families mm-hmm. were getting their picture taken with us. Even and with that the- was almost a, a theme throughout. This this whole trip, even before we started on the uh, on the Trans Siberian Railway, uh, the time we spent uh, before we got to Moscow and Uzbekistan, uh, whenever we would meet, whenever people would realize we were Americans, they wanted to talk to us. We ran into a group of uh, probably middle school or high school aged kids in Uzbekistan. When they realized we were Americans, they wanted to talk to us. They wanted to practice their English oh, and talk okay. to us. And I think we ran into a lot of that, uh, as Ann mentioned. Uh, with the Chinese in in Tiananmen Square, I have to say, in all our travels, I, I mean, we've had issues. There have been problems, you know, whatever. So I can't say that we've never had an issue in all our travels. But generally speaking, people really like Americans. People like America around the world, and that's been my experience. That is that is great to hear. I want to add, finish up your this this trip with uh, the Great Wall of China. I kind of get the impression it's massive and amazing. But it's not easy to walk that wall, is it? No, it's actually at a quite an incline, so you've got to be careful. And uh, the first time we visited, it was snowing, and we were actually sliding up and down. <laughs> this time it wasn't, so we could walk it, and it and it, oh, it's just magnificent. It is magnificent, breathtaking. It is, and uh, this particular time, it was. We got there very early in the morning, and so we were avoiding a lot of the crowds, which was helpful. Uh, but it was early. And uh, the wall in the high mountains where it's still sort of shrouded in, uh, in fog, which made it even more uh, mysterious and ethereal. I want to ask you about one last thing. Was, uh, by the way, uh, oh, before I, I leave this issue, uh, when will people be able to see that uh, the video production on Channel 20 again? Are there, do you have any scheduled showings? It's already shown once, yes, I know. Yes, there are uh, several upcoming showings. The next time it's going to be in prime time will be November 19th. That'll be at 7.30 p.m., November 19th, 7.30 on the WFYI. But there are showings on November 7th at 1 a.m., November 17th at 1 a.m., November 20th at 5 a.m., and then on Saturday, November 21st at 12.30 in the afternoon. As they say, check your local listings. And, and uh, record. 
Yeah, gear up the t- gear up the DVR TiVo or whatever it is you use, and just record right. it in the middle of the night. I love uh, doing that with lots of shows. One last question: You have just wrapped up a, a trip on Route sixty six, which I followed you on that trip through f- your Facebook posts. Uh, just uh, maybe just a few comments about what you walk away from and learn from that trip, and uh, ask Ann to start. Well, once again, America is beautiful. America is just gorgeous. It really is. Um, People are friendly everywhere. We we are a very friendly nation. Again, it isn't that we didn't have some issues, but generally speaking, um, loved it. It was a great trip. It was uh, Americana. It was probably um, maybe even a little emotional for me because I grew up, um, I traveled a lot. I hit 49 of 50 states with my parents. Mm, okay. And um, so we traveled, yeah, I was growing up. And so we take trips for two or three weeks at a time and, you know, go across country. And um, I know we were on Route 66. I don't have a, a vivid memory of that, but I but a lot of it looks familiar. It has a familiar feel to me. Um, and we never went the whole way like we just did by any means. But um, so, you know, it reminded me of my parents. It, you know, it takes you back to a different era. And it's a cool era. It was, uh, it was, it was great. The thing, though, that I think we both would agree on is the wide disparity of how the different states and people are dealing with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we uh, were went to a dinner at a restaurant in uh, a small town in Missouri, and there wasn't a mask in sight. We were the only people in masks. Mm-hmm. No s- servers weren't wearing them. The other guests weren't wearing them. And yeah. the restaurant was packed. They weren't social distancing. No, no social distance. No masks. We got to Los Angeles. We got to California, frankly, and it was just the opposite. You couldn't find an open public bathroom. Oh, yeah. They, and mm-hmm. there was people no walking the streets years. wearing the masks, mm-hmm. walking alone, driving in their cars, still wearing the masks everywhere. And there's still a limit of um, on restaurants. You can't eat inside. You have to eat outside. So um, we were having breakfast, and the only place we could find that was open was a Denny's. Mm-hmm. And they had set up a tent. And some other just, you know, tables out mm-hmm. in their parking lot oh my gosh. so that they could stay open. And so we sat outside uh, yeah. uh, in the uh, rather brisk morning yeah. to have breakfast at Denny's. <laughs> One thing back to Route 66, though, that we that was a bit of a surprise um, in years past, certainly not this year because of the pandemic and the lack of, of international travel. But in talking to all of the uh, motel owners and other people in restaurants uh, that are that always are there, about half, generally in a given year, about half the people that are traveling Route 66 are foreigners, Mm, Europeans or Russians Mm. or from everywhere. Route 66 is actually kind of a big deal around the world. It's iconic. Mm. It's a bucket list thing to do. Um, In fact, we heard from a couple of different people that Australians are huge on Route 66. They will come and buy motorcycles drive cross-country on Route 66 on the motorcycles, ship them home, and sell them at a huge profit because they rode on Route 66. We heard that from more than one one person. I think it's tied into the car culture of the 50s. It began to, that post-World War II um, yeah. Yeah. push in very, America. Very. And I, yeah, I, I'm surprised it has the international... Uh, uh, popularity that you talked yeah, about. I was surprised, surprised too. Very. Yeah, yeah. So is there going to be a Route 66 video coming out in the near future? We're hoping to make a documentary out of it. That's um, the plan. Yep, that is the plan. Well, I want to say 
If I can say one quick thing, I want to give a shout out to your video editor, Philip Peluso, whom I knew, whom I know, and I just think he did a, a terrific job of editing. Fabulous. He's, he's fantastic. He is just great. Not only is he a great guy, and he, and he's he's a good friend. He's hilarious. I like Philip. <laughs> I like a Philip lot. a lot. He, I, yes, I don't know him as well guy. as you, but he's good. But he is so talented. He is. And, yeah. you know, he brought a dimension to this that I'm not sure that we would have had without him. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I mean that. He brought his own, his own um, creativity and made it what it is. Let me ask you one last question because you're in the travel business. Uh, obviously, it's seen better times, but uh, and you have experienced people who take COVID seriously and those who don't during your travels. Uh, yeah. I'm just curious, is there a safe way to travel today or do you think people should wait? Uh, I think it depends on where you're going. And so, I mean, personally, I'm not sure I'm ready to leave the country. That's why we took the opportunity to take this particular trip that we've been wanting to take. Um, I mean, I, I would say that it, um, there are Caribbean areas, um, Caribbean islands and all that are opening up. And, and if you're careful, I actually had a client that went to Jamaica a couple months ago mm-hmm. and had a great time, had no problems whatsoever. So I, I you know, I, I don't think that would be a major problem. I don't, we were supposed to go to Saudi Arabia in December. Oh my gosh. And yeah, and we're not going to do that. I, I doubt that the trip will go. It hasn't been officially canceled, but uh, I'm not ready to do that. I mean, I think Saudi Arabia is going to be hard to begin with, let alone go during a pandemic, even if we could go. And so there, are, I, I think I'm not quite ready. I will be next year for sure okay. um, to go back out of, you know, unforeseen happens. I think it will get a vaccine. I think it will be okay and fairly soon. But as of right now, I think it depends on where you're going. I think this country, if you're careful, I think you can go. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think the Caribbean is, is probably mm-hmm. okay. There are people going. I and, just and, while it's, and while it's technically domestic, uh, Hawaii is, is back open now as well. So, and they and test you. Tip. You know, you, you've got to bring a test. And, and in Jamaica, they actually tested you when you got off the plane. And if you're if you uh, tested positive, they're going to quarantine you or send you home or whatever. If you didn't, and these my clients didn't, then you got to just you know stay on the resort or whatever. And and so I mean I I definitely think it is possible. I think it'll be fine. But right now, you know, it, it, you just got to be careful whatever you do. Just you know, use your head. Mm-hmm. John Cinnamon and Craig Cinnamon, it's always a joy to talk to both of you. Congratulations on a terrific uh, public television documentary. I recommend anyone uh, with the time, please watch it. It's well worth your time. And the best of, we appreciate it. Best of luck to both of you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Thank Larry. You.